You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, developing smart solar software you can trust for homes, businesses and solar retailers right here in Australia. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and the electric vehicle focused, The Driven. And joining me as usual is Solar Analytics, Solar Guru, Nigel Morris. <laughs> How are you? I'm, I'm, trying, I'm, trying, I'm trying a different, different descriptor each time just to see. Some, kind of, I like it. Yeah, Solar Guru. Solar Guru. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, we're going to have to change this pretty quickly to Solar Grandpa. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm, I uh, I don't feel like I'm a grandpa, but I'm about to become a grandpa. I'm very, very happy to say, and I spent last week, a lovely week last week, actually, down visiting my daughter, who's uh, suitably preggers and massive and uh, uncomfortable, but uh, building a very nice baby in her belly. So um, good on you, Shabby. Well, congratulations, Nigel, to your whole family. Um, that's fantastic news. It is fantastic news. And I have to say, you know, uh, the, the, the highlight, of course, was um, there were three highlights. Number one, seeing my beautiful daughter in in uh, full full blossom of, of uh, building a baby in her belly. That was just awesome. Uh, meeting um, her partner's family was was fabulous and spending a bit of time with them. And then the third bit for me, of course, was that on the road trip that we did down um, to, to Victoria, where she lives, um, wind farms, solar farms, EV charging stations, everywhere I looked, Giles. I, I drove past a solar farm somewhere sort of down towards Euroa or somewhere in that region. It just went on and on and on and on, and I couldn't get couldn't get my 17 year old excited about it, but I was excited. And every time we stopped for, uh, for fuel, I went, oh, look. There's a dog on the tucker box has got a got a Tesla charging station out the back, and you know there's another one at uh, up the road, and there was another one down the road. So I was uh, I was suitably impressed at how many EV charging stations had been popped up, some with solar and batteries as well. So, you know, three highlights for me last week. Bloody brilliant, bloody brilliant. Yeah, I actually went. Um, I was quite surprised by the number of charges. I had to go inland in a big sort of voyage from Byron Bay down to Sydney um, by myself a couple of weeks ago when the big floods came and I couldn't go down the coast roads. So I had to go inland, and um, it was quite a pretty trip. And um, but I went um, over the hills, over the mountains, and arrived in Armadale. Then went down to sort of Tamworth and Singleton and uh, mm. through the Hunter Valley. And I was quite surprised mm. by the number of EV charging stations there were. I was finally. Equally- I was equally surprised by the fact that I was the only, the only one at any of them. So, um... <laughs> yes, yes, I looked like, like yeah, there, there wasn't many yet. The ones there were cars at it's almost every charge station um, um, that I took a peek at. There, there was a vehicle or two there, and I was that creepy guy just <laughs> just people in their cars, like you know, just going, "Why is that guy there?" What, what, what's he looking at us for? I think, I think there's signs for behaviour like that and, um, oh, and, and stuff bobbing, like that. Bobbing my head around. <laughs> I'll talk to you about your EV. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, it was great to see. It was it's what struck me, you know, was you know, six o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, that we were at one of these service stations, you know, everyone's going in there and getting their bacon and egg rolls and a cup of coffee and and you know, quite uh, there's a charging station. It was just like bacon and eggs. It was <laughs> normal. It was just that, that there's that thing. You can get fuel, you can charge your EV, you can get a bacon and egg roll. That's what I thought was super cool is just seeing that start to become normal. And, and same with the solar farms and the wind farms. I pulled up at one of the big wind farms on the Hume and you can just pull up there and look at these turbines and they were, they were, it was blowing a gale and, you know, everyone was just kind of looking at it going, yes, another wind farm. Another wind cool. farm. Cool. It is cool. I love it yeah. when, when renewables become normal. It's great. Absolutely. I've got to say, though, um, about the solar farms, um, they do go on and on, don't they? I mean, they, um, they, they know how to fill oh a paddock. Um, oh, don't, don't they? It was just endless. You just went, oh, my God, it's, it's still going. I'm, I'm clocking over Ks here. And, uh, yeah, just the scale of them is just enormous. It's um, They're going to have to do something to brighten them up, though. I mean, we'll make it interesting. I mean, I don't know whether you get polka dot designs on some of the solar panels. I remember remember when we went to, um, what was that thing in California where we met back in San Francisco, that big solar um, conference? I can't remember the name of it now. It was was Intersolar. It was Intersolar. And you, they were they were trying to sell um, or promote different coloured panels, and there was red they ones were, and oranges, were, yes, and all sorts of things. Well, maybe it's about time now because if you do drive past a solar farm, it's actually pretty damn boring, quite frankly. I mean, apart from going, "Oh gosh, isn't that big?" Um, and hasn't that filled the paddock? Um, maybe it's time to sort of brighten it all up, have different colours. Maybe, yeah. gosh, maybe they could do some signs on the panels or something like that. You know, um, it, it, you're know. right. It, it's got the, it's got have the cricket got... on something or like that. You know, one of those sort of you know sort of screens. I mean. Can, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit monoculture, and 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 I'm with you on that. And I think there's there's massive opportunities, and I know they've done a lot of work in this, and we've talked about it way back um, about some of the things that you can do alongside it. You can have sheep grazing, you can uh, you can have bees, you can run native uh, plant nurseries in and around the solar panels. Uh, so you can actually bring back the native ecosystems around these things as well, and they can all work very harmoniously. And Add a bit of interest and colour and context, and not keep it so monoculture. I think, um, I think you know, the rush of just getting large solar up and running in Australia now has happened, which is awesome. And so I'm with you, mate. I think uh, I think now's the time to see uh, some interesting mm. stuff and some. I would have liked a sign so that I could just tell which one. I, I couldn't even work out where I was. It was just on the side of the freeway. But it did strike me that, you know, millions of people were driving back to Melbourne after their uh, Easter long weekend and they all drove past this solar farm and there wasn't a sign anywhere to be seen that said, this is a super cool, massive solar farm and this is what it's called. So they, I, I can't even tell you where it was. So, so anyway. Mm, interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, agri-voltaics. Agri-voltaics. Agri, agri, agri. Agri. Agri, agri voltaics. Yes, the idea that you'd actually have solar farm, solar panels intermixed with whatever it is that you're doing on the farm. So in some right. cases, that's like bigger, um, bigger structures. So you've got sort of crops or other animals going underneath. Um, yeah, some all sorts of interesting things going on. Yeah, but um, we better get into the sort of topics at hand. Um, one big thing to note, I guess, though, um, thanks to SunWiz, one of our sponsors, uh, along with Clean Energy and, of course, Solar Analytics. Um, the monthly data showed 317 megawatts, I think, in the month of March, which is a yet another record. 
Um, Love it. And the first time an individual state has hit 100, 101 megawatts in New South Wales, which will um, just accelerate the... Um, the, um, the retirement of all the coal-fired power stations, 77 in um, in Queensland and about 69 in wow. Victoria. So, wow. Um, Enormous. Coming along very, and if you, I'm just actually sitting here just looking at a graph it, at, uh, at Warwick, um, Warwick's graph and it just sort of kind of shows it's just going upwards and upwards and upwards and upwards. It's just sort of taking off in um, just about every state. So um, pretty amazing stuff. So, it um, is. It is. And, and uh, it, it's interesting talking to some of the, um, I think I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago, that some of the wholesalers have reported record uh, Februaries and I think some record Marches as well. So, you know, some of the large movers of product in the market are, uh, are seeing that. It's, it's, um, but interestingly, also talking to some of the smaller guys, it's not necessarily, they're not necessarily seeing it. So it's, it's we're still trying to dig into this and understand what it means, but of course, as is always the case, it's not necessarily spread equally across everybody. This growth, but clearly, the market is absolutely booming. Clearly, the clean energy regulators' um, concern or, or prediction, depending on how you're putting it, is that we are going to set some new records this year. Consumers aren't slowing down, um, and and so it's uh, these records just prove that it's going to be another another absolute gangbuster of a year. Yeah, well, look, I actually got a bit of a peek at some of the draft assumptions being used for the next integrated system plan. So these are put together by Australian uh, Energy Market Operator and um, CSIRO, and now I've actually talked about them on the podcast, I better write about them for the website. But um, they're talking about four gigawatts of rooftop solar this year, and possibly four. More. Four. Wow. Four. Wow. So, um, that's epic. Well, it is epic. Um, and that's pretty amazing. I've mean, just seen AGL this week announce a, um, another deal with Wartzilla, which is the sort of European based um, hybrid energy specialists, um, to put rooftop solar, well, basically, on, not necessarily rooftop, but just on site solar and storage and anything else they might need for large energy users. So these are the people who have been going out and sort of writing contracts, PPAs with wind farms and solar farms and stuff like that, and less worried the utilities because they think, oh, geez, we're losing all our customers now. So now they're coming in and saying, okay, you want solar, you want storage, you want sort of, you know, um, backup and everything like that, we can do this for you. So that's a really interesting move, um, one that's going to accelerate the uptake of um, solar um, that might not be sub 100 kilowatts, but you never know. It depends on the size of the business. But um, that's going to accelerate that uptake. And there's also an attempt by the utilities to sort of, you know, keep a keep a hand in the market, as it were, because a lot of that's sort of disappearing from them. Mm. And, and of course, all of this is a wonderful segue into the records that were set for renewables penetration into the grid. We're 56%, I read, on your wonderful website, on your, on your newsletter yesterday, 56% renewables. Done deal. 56% instantaneous renewables at about 1.10 p.m. On, mon- on Sunday afternoon. Now, Sunday is a normal day to do that because it's reasonably low demand. Um, not many fa- manufacturers going, not many office buildings all lit up and um, plenty of wind and plenty of nice sunny conditions. So And, um, and, some, and some curtailment in amongst that mix, I mean, uh, well, I read as well. Yeah, look, pretty heavy containment too, actually, about 10% of the wind and solar capacity around the grid. So what happens on days like that is that the prices go negative in some states. In this case, because just about every state was going gangbusters and had over 50% renewables, including Victoria and even New South Wales. Oh, Queensland 
might not have gotten there. They might have just had it in the high 40s because they're still a bit sort of slow. But prices were still negative, and that means that a lot in these cases, a lot of the large-scale wind and solar farms are... Um, are switching off um, mm. in the middle of the day at the time when rooftop solar is kind of sort of um, eating their lunch, as it were. So, um, rooftop good. solar was a massive proportion of that, right? Was, one, I mean, one quarter, one quarter. So, yeah, nearly half of that fifty-six percent renewable share was just rooftop solar itself, which is well, um, good on your mum. Good on your mum and dad. Look, I was actually looking back. Um, so, I was writing something about South Australia. You got on mum and dad, and all the mums and dads out there got it. Um, so what, that's what blows me away. Is that that? That penetration of, of you know, put the Katama aside, almost seventy percent of the energy being delivered across the entire country, the the NEM, uh, mm-hmm. just being delivered predominantly by mums and dads who've who've just bought us bought four or five kilowatts and slapped it on the roof. It's 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 absolutely incredible. I was actually looking about South Australia because I've written a story about them and, and we'll just get to that in a moment. But I was just looking at, um, we noticed last year that, that on one day last year, rooftop solar just by itself met the equivalent of 100% of the demand on, in South Australia. Now, it yep. did that and they kind of, you know, they had gas generators running as well, but sort of about 300 or 400 megawatts was being exported to Victoria. And I called up, I sort of did a bit of a Google search on, on my own website and I found these stories back in 2015 with me going, oh, golly gosh, look, rooftop solar is up to one third of South Australia's grid. And, but a year later, it was, oh, look, rooftop solar is one half. And then, oh, look, it's two thirds. And now it's 100%. And look, guess what? The whole grid is now 24.5%. So if we're going to still increase this, um, these installations and, and it's going to go in at four gigawatts a year, then you know it's not going to be that long before we're talking about rooftop solar providing one half of the national grid and then even more. It's going to be extraordinary. Extraordinary. I love it. Australia leading the way. The stump jump plough first and 100% renewables rooftop solar penetration next of course this um, does create a little bit of a headache for the um, grid operators and completely stuffs up the uh, business models for the big utilities but that can't be helped um but it's interesting what we're seeing i've just sort of um this other story i was going to mention too we've written about the switching off of rooftop solar this capa- this new capability so there's new inverter requirements now which allows a network provider to send an instruction to either itself or another agency such as solar analytics to sort of switch off a certain amount of rooftop solar to keep the grid stable. So now they're going to actually extend this to um, EV charges, um, pool pumps, air air conditioners, air conditioners and hot water systems. So, but it's also not just, um, so the options they're discussing here are actually having capabilities to reduce the output of those appliances by either one quarter, one half or 100%, or in the cases of um, EV chargers and hot water systems, switching them on. So one thing to, you you sort of reduce it at times of peak demand, or if you've got sort of issues like you do in South Australia, um, about, you know, sort of worrying about um, not enough load. And um, and um, um, oh, so, sorry, I sort of not enough supply, and then sort of switching on the load um, um, if you worry about not enough load. So really interesting. And South, a lot of this stuff is going to be introduced by about twenty twenty six. They're kind of working out what standards they should be doing, what the impact is of introducing them. But South Australia wants to fast track them to twenty twenty four, and in the case of hot water, twenty twenty four. Really. Yeah, 2024. I'm but... going to say, they fast-tracked solar in 2020 in the space of about three months flat. I 
you know, 2020, that's three years away. Giles, let me let me tell you, back in I, 2000... I, I'm happy to switch off your aircon anytime you want to, um, Nigel. I'll, I'll, well, if I had an air conditioner, you'd be welcome. You can certainly come and switch off my... You can remotely switch off my electric hot water system anytime you'd like. I volunteer for the program right now. I have to tell you, 21 years ago, Giles, 21 years ago, I was involved in a program called the Solar Cities Project. You might remember it. Much fanfare. I do. Uh, the the, the environment minister at the time who um, helped uh, help launch some of the Solar Cities projects out in uh, Alice Springs got a nice photo of me and Malcolm Turnbull uh, launching the Solar Cities program in Alice Springs. As part of that program, in a number of different projects that we did, we did a revolutionary thing, which was to remotely turn off air conditioners. 21 years ago, Giles, 21 years ago, we could turn off air conditioners remotely to help manage demand on the grid. I am staggered, perplexed, and frankly, extraordinarily disappointed that they could fast track a solar switch off in three to six months in South Australia. And yet they're telling us it's going to take another three years to do the same thing in South Australia, which we were doing 21 fucking years ago. For God's sake, get on with it. It's actually very, very clear through this 2024, 2026 deadline that they're stalling. There is absolutely nothing at all stopping them from controlling hot water systems today. And in fact, someone was telling me the other day, I think it was the boss, that in South Australia, there's 600 megawatts of electric hot water systems that could be controlled today, today. And there's a whole lot that can be done to control electric hot uh, air conditioners and pool pumps and a whole bunch of other major, major, major loads that no doubt add up to gigawatts of demand that are arguably a bigger contributor to the cost of the network than solar penetration. So this is bullshit. I'm going to call it because controlling demand and controlling load is equally, if not of greater importance than controlling solar. It's time that the networks were called out for this and that they got their act together and moved quicker. They do not need to wait until 2024. They can easily do it faster than this. We did it 21 years ago, Giles. Thank you, Rave Over. <laughs> I'm quite impressed, Nigel. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with any of that, apart from issuing a retrospective language warning. Um... <laughs> Oh, it pisses me off. Oh, I don't know. I'm sorry, but there is so much load out there. I can we've talked about this before. I can go down the road and buy an air conditioner or an air compressor from Bunnings and slap kilowatts of load on the grid with no penance, no cost, no input. I can just buy energy till the cows come home and no one will say anything. But if I try to save energy by putting a solar system on, all of a sudden I'm a bloody problem. Stop it. Stop it! <laughs> a load of bollocks, as we, as we would say in the demand response industry. Um, right. The um, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, the networks, and particularly, well, the networks in particular, and the and the other uh, retailers are very happy for everyone to increase as much consumption as they possibly could. Exactly. Um, and now everyone's kind of reversing tack and realizing that. Um, um, you know, just sort of helping having these sort of smart home things. So it's going to be interesting to see, one, the reaction from the um, the right-wingers and the conservatives who say, how dare you control my pool pump and my aircon and um, and things like that, and um, whether they actually do it in a sensible manner, which means that people don't get um, 
you know, don't get put out, but um, are quite oh, happy well, to actually you know, contribute to um, to having you know cheap and reliable supply. Perish the thought. Uh, solar system owners in South Australia are forced to uh, forced to install extra equipment, which comes at an extra cost. It's not free, although it may be packaged that way. All of the people in South Australia who are curtailing their rooftop solar systems, as we have seen happen once already, only a few weeks ago, they all bore a cost for that. Why shouldn't an air conditioner owner or an electric hot water system or any other load owner bear a cost as well? Of course they should. It's only fair. If we're trying to manage the grid properly, we all need to share in the costs. That was exactly the rationale that was used in AEMO's statement a couple of weeks ago around solar nationally needing to be controlled. It's the same bloody issue. It's, it drives me mental. So, you know, come on, get on with it. Let's do it. <laughs> Good one, Nigel. I think we're just going to take a quick break now and um, gather our input and um, hear from one of our sponsors. Plenergy is an Australian-founded enterprise providing innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Plenergy's innovative approach and engineering expertise gives them a unique edge to create the right base framework for all solar applications. Their range of high-quality products and services include PV mounting, ground mounting products, and solutions for residential, commercial and utility-scale projects. Visit clenergy.com.au and find the right framework for your solar application. Oh, we're back in perfectly relaxed and, um, you know, quite harmonious. Um, I'm emergency meditating as well. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should have taken a longer ad break. Um, And thanks to all our sponsors, uh, Clenergy, uh, Solar Analytics and SunWiz, of course. Now, Nigel, you've got some scribble down here about Combank Greenlands. What's the good news here? Do I? I think that was yeah. from the last episode. Actually. Oh, well, we've got a new one. So, no, I've got nothing about that. Um, what I did have in good solar news uh, was Pescovites with human hair. Oh, yes. It's a great little story, wasn't it? I, my goodness. So, you know, the barbers of Queensland <laughs> hand over your hair clippings because the guys in uh, QUT, if I'm not mistaken, um, are playing with human hair to create nanocarbon dots. And I was reading your story about it. It blew my mind. They take human hair, they burn it at 245 degrees, carbonize it, mix that carbon up with the perscovites, which are our favorite, uh, you know, latest technology of solar that's been played with for 10 years or so and shows great promise. And lo and behold, what they've done is kind of passivated the the behaviour of uh, Perscovite solar, which has increased the reliability and performance of it using barbershop hair. It's fantastic. I actually expect at the next solar conference that Martin Green will have a little cardboard box in the corner and people can just um, sort of <laughs> drop their hair clippings in. <laughs> can you just bend forward for a minute? I'm just going to trim that. <laughs> Absolutely. And to shave Martin Green and a pair of scissors. I love it. I love it. Oh no! Look, it's terrific, and yeah, just shows you know the wonderful innovation that's um that's um going on around us. And um, speaking of big developments, um, Saudi Arabia just knocked up another world record low for solar power. So, ten dollars forty a megawatt hour US dollars, which is about thirteen dollars Australian. That's about one cent a kilowatt hour. Which is the kind of thing that Martin Green has predicted would happen in the mid twenty twenties. He's probably talking more about like an almost like an average cost or something like that. But this is certainly getting pretty close to being below one cent a kilowatt hour, where you're basically talking about solar being free, really. Um, and look, you know, and if you're going to have a record like that, you're going to have it in Saudi Arabia, where the cost of finance is really, really low. 
although cost of finance is pretty low everywhere at the moment. And of course, you've got excellent um, solar conditions. And um, sadly, for the people who work there, the uh, cost of labor is pretty wretched as well. So another language warning. Records, records, records. Here we go. Um, and and yeah, one to break in that one cent uh, barrier. You know, um, let's call it, Giles. When are we going to get below one cent? I reckon the next solar farm that gets built in Saudi Arabia, right? <laughs> or, the, or the United Arab Emirates. I mean, that's where it's been set now. Although Portugal got pretty close last year, I think it was thirteen, mm. fourteen, thirteen euros. I think it might have been eighteen dollars Australian. Mm. So it's going to be one of those places, or look, maybe it even might be in the US and the um, in the southwest somewhere. I'm not too sure, but I think the labour costs in southwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, the labour costs might sort of pump them out of the ballpark. But um, my goodness, um, I mean, I mean, solar farms are just going to go ballistic at that level because uh, nothing else can compete, right? Nothing else can come close to one cent a kilowatt hour. No, and when you think about, uh, well, no, 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 no way. Um, wind energy might get to down to about twenty dollars a megawatt hour, but um, yep. gosh, I don't know. Um, well, look, I suppose you never, 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 never know. Some of those big turbines they're talking about now, and the offshore wind farms. There's a a new offshore wind farm proposed for Western Australia, talking about fifteen megawatt turbines. Um, gosh. Um, it's about, you know, 30 times bigger than the ones that were put up about sort of 12 years ago. Um, astounding. It, look, it is astounding. It is astounding. So, um, and that's, I think that's actually been one of the big surprises in the renewables market that the wind industry has actually managed to keep up, particularly in Australia with the um, plunging costs of solar. No one really expected them to do so. They just thought they were going to get lapped by solar, but they've actually... Um, put their fingers out and um, achieve some important deficiencies and um, and are so far competitive. But what happens in the next five to ten years will remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. Mm. We're, we're probably due to wrap up, but I can, can I throw something in quick about uh, electric motorcycles? Because, you know, I want to do that. Only if I can talk about the driving the Porsche electric Taycan. Oh, stop it. Did you get to drive it? <laughs> You were, you were ringing me saying there might be a chance that you'll get to drive it, and I haven't got to drive it, and now you did? You drove I it? I did. I did for five days. For five days over Easter, mate. No, not you over in Easter. You in a Porsche electric take-in, yeah. Do you know, when I see a Porsche driving around the place, I just think, oh, dickheads. And I kind of felt <laughs> a bit like one when I was driving it myself, but, geez, it was nice. Um, oh, they're sensational. I've been in many Porsches. Uh, my, my, um, uh, my wonderful father-in-law was a Porsche aficionado and I got to drive in many of his Porsches and they are a spectacular piece of machinery. Oh. But tell me, what was the electric Taycan like? Unbelievable. Um, look, um, starting price about $210,000. Um, so I, I kind of got a bit nervous because I was sort of, um, you know, um, <laughs> driving something uh, which I dinged it would um, <laughs> would probably cost me a packet. But um, um, yeah, look, sensational. It weighs about three tons, quite a heavy piece of machinery, but doesn't really oh, feel it like felt, it. It felt heavy? No, it well, did not feel heavy. Just, just felt, heavy, but didn't feel Just it. felt solid and close to the road, and the handling was just extraordinary. I mean, and yep. the guy had it in the big wet up here for, well, half the time it was the big wet, so I was just driving in just sort of solid rain for, you know, for a lot of the time, but it was still really impressive. I mean, the acceleration when you really flatten the thing, um, in sports mode is just quite extraordinary. I mean, it just felt, feels like it's sort of jet going off down the runway. Um, uh, took a couple of passengers and they were just absolutely amazed. Um, and you, li- you live on a uh, infamously famous motorcycling favourite road. I mean, windy, tight, death-defying oh. drops to every turn. 
I would imagine the Taycan in in fury up and down your road uh, would have been something quite special, right? There's a favourite turn-off. If you come along Cootamon Scenic Drive and the road continues onto Federal and then it's like a sharp right, which you've actually got to slow down for, and then there's this beautiful winding uphill bit which comes up past what's called Scarabellotti's Lookout. And usually in the Tesla, I give that a bit of a thump and just roar ahead. And um, it's just lovely to see some Enjoy of those it. SUVs have been sitting on my tail and just leave them behind and wave them goodbye in the Porsche Taycan. Look, I couldn't believe it. I actually thought I was just going to take off, disappear over Scarabellotti's Lookout and land a new parents' former place in my Oakham. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was a little bit circumspect, but geez, what a thrill. Um, but um, quite extraordinary. I mean, just sort of, um, just sort of even just driving around about 50 or 80 Ks, you just sort of sit there. Well, I mean, it's not quite as exciting as <laughs> running around the, the landscape, but um, yeah, quite an extraordinary car. Um, right. Boy, does it consume electricity, though, um, about 220 watt hours per kilometre. So um, it's about 50% oh. more than my Tesla. So, yeah. Yes. It's, it's a performance um, vehicle, right? They, I mean, absolutely. Porsche have deliberately built it to be, and I've watched a lot of YouTube videos and other things where they've you know, taken it on drag strips and racetracks and all sorts of other things and highlighted the fact that you're not going to overheat it, you're not going to cook it, you're not going to limit it. It's, it's designed to be, you know, brutally, brutally, brutally driven like a sports car. Um, so it's 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 built for that purpose, right? right? And and get this, get this. So the big difference between the Porsche Taycan um, and all the other electric vehicles, you know, when you're driving an electric vehicle, particularly a Tesla, and you take your foot off the accelerator and it kind of slows down, yep. um, and that's kind of called one pedal driving. I really really like it, and because um, it's just you're, just you're just basically using one pedal and you can slow down on the corners. So. I pick up the uh, Porsche Taycan from Bridie, um, who writes uh, main reporter for the Driven, and um, you know she's just said it's fantastic. So I, I roar off from her place, get to the first corner, I go, "Oh shit, <laughs> where's the brake?" Because it hasn't slowed down as I took the foot off the accelerator. They have gone to the trouble of developing a whole new system, so they don't have this sort of regenerative braking as you take your foot off the accelerator. They've actually created this other, a whole new system of regenerative braking only when you apply the brake. Why do they do that? Well, apparently, in you're driving a Porsche Taycan about 200 k's down the German autobahns, they don't like throwing out the anchor, as they describe it. And it's also really bad for lap times, as it would be. So, uh, well, it's <laughs> like, yeah, and, and look, you know, I mean, all credit to them for coming up, coming up with that. So when you sort of, you know, when you take your foot off the accelerator, you don't slow down at all. You continue on. So, um, yeah. Yeah, oh, look, I'm, I'm I'm six years ahead of you there, Giles. No. Uh, my, my, my zero electric motorcycle has that in it, and it's programmable. So I can dial that up. I can dial up from zero to 100% regen on closed throttle. Um, so so that what, what that means is if I want to ride it around town and I want that kind of one-pedal experience, but it's one-throttle experience, I can dial up the regen on my throttle to 100%. And then when I close the throttle, it feels like a big V-twin you feel it breaking using regen to slow the bike down, which is very nice if you feel like you want to yeah. ride. Most cars, yeah, most cars have that. You can adjust it. Um, yeah. You know, Some of them have, have them on paddles, depending on what you want to do. But this one, yeah. now in the Porsche, it doesn't exist. Um, on the, the regen doesn't exist on the accelerator pedal. You've, you've got oh, to, you've you got can't to, even bring it in. No, 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 no. You, you oh. can press it. You've got to press a certain button each time you start it to get some sort of regen, but it's barely noticeable. Oh. But to get the regen activated, you've actually got to hit the brake pedal. So when you hit the brake pedal, you're yep. not actually activating the physical brakes. You're actually activating the regen part of it. Yes. 
yes. from the brake pedal and only yes. then if you need to stop really quickly does the physical brake come on so brakes come in. Yeah. Yeah. which which makes sense i mean that's sports motorcycle riding and that's you, when you go into sport mode on the zero motorcycle it basically drops the engine braking feel uh, that that off throttle feel down to almost zero, and in my custom mode, I've got it set to about ten percent, so that when I come flying into a corner at high speed and close the throttle, I coast in. Right, I can coast because on a sports on a, in sports riding mode, that's what you want. You want to be able to just coast in. You you set your speed right. You coast in nicely. You've got predictive rolling coasting speed coming in. And then what you want to be able to do is dial that up. And so I also have it on my brakes. So I can dial it up not only on regen from close throttle, but I can dial up regen on brakes as well from zero to 100%. So I've got the same thing on the brakes so that then what I can do is just feather the brakes. And as soon as I trigger the brake light circuit on my zero, it'll pull in regen first and then brake pads second. So same kind of thing. So very typical behavior for a sports machine. doesn't surprise me at all that uh, Porsche have, have done it that way. I love it as a driving experience, and I regularly flip between different modes, my custom mode, which i got set up for the typical riding that I do. And then when I get up into my favorite windy roads, I'll flip it over into sport and really dial that down so that I've got almost no regen on closed throttle and then max regen on brakes so that I can just stonk it in, coast, Brake really, really hard, maximize the regen, and then um, punch it out the other side. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. That's pretty cool. Hey, look, I also had a visit um, to another electric vehicle. This is the new Hyundai Ionic. I'm just going to say this very quickly. Um, I didn't get to drive it because it's not drivable yet. They've got like a one sort of handmade um, sort of quote-unquote vehicle in Australia. Well, they've probably got a couple actually, and um, they don't really have the sort of the uh, authority to drive it around the roads yet. But they're just sort of showing it off the interior and stuff like that. The big cool thing about this is one they sort of redesign it from the ground up, so it's not like the Kona or, or the you know, the existing Ionic, which are essentially conversions of existing petrol cars. This is kind of like a new thing. A lot of space inside, looks really nice. But the big thing that struck me is the vehicle to load facility they've got. Basically, it means it's got a PowerPoint that you can just sort of plug anything in. Got one inside, you can just basically plug in your laptop as you're sitting in the front seat doing some work. Or you can park it outside your house, and if there's a um, blackout or an outage or something like that, you just sort of um, plug it into the car, and you've got 64 kilowatt hours of um, battery storage, which you can keep your house running for at a rate of about 3.6 kilowatts, which will even allow your yeah, thank, thank goodness. I mean, goodness gracious, we've had inverters that can pull battery voltage and convert it into AC forever. Uh, I'm I'm so glad we finally got them in electric <laughs> vehicles uh, because it just makes a new uh, makes fantastic sense. Fan, fa- fantastic. Well, it did. Look, I mean, turns it into a utility vehicle, right? Well, exactly, exactly, yeah. And look, I mean, um, people like Hyundai and, and yet some of the others have finally got their mind around sort of, you know, the warranties and the batteries and think, well, this is actually not going to deplete it and change that equation very much. Exactly. So good for them. Uh, good yeah. on them. Good on them. I love it. I love yeah. it. And just to close off, I should uh, just update everyone. I'm um, I'm completely back in love with my Zero motorcycle. Uh, so I got it back a few weeks ago, as uh, listeners uh, would have heard. Uh, I've put, well, I think, more than 500 Ks on it now. I'm sort of going steadily and slowly and, you know, getting my, getting my riding mojo back because it's been two years since. In fact, I did drop it in the driveway the other day because I backed it out uh, and, and forgot what it's like to you know, back a motorcycle out on a horrible tilted sloping driveway and bloody dropped the thing and broke an indicator. But then I fixed it and got it back on the road and I'm just 
progressively testing everything out and making sure that everything's good after all the work that was done. And I have to say, I'm totally benefiting from um, later model technology. I've got the latest motor, the latest controller, BMS and MBB, all fitted new in my bike. The guys from El Mofo did a great job putting it all together for me. I've just been fine-tuning everything and making sure that everything's good and getting it uh, getting it back in, in shape. My battery's showing a little bit of sign of age, so I don't quite have the range that I used to have. But uh, my goodness, it's um, it's just so good. In fact, I was talking to a colleague the other day and I said, just want you to let you know I'm, I'm on the bike. I've got my in-head helmet Bluetooth comms going, so... Um, um, but, um, it is, it just feels so good, uh, to be commuting again. Um, I come home, I charge off my solar system, I charge at work off the solar system. Um, and, um, you know, my bike's, um, my bike's seven years old now. It's a modern classic, Giles. And, um, thanks to the good folks at Il Mofo and Zero Motorcycles, I'm back on the road with a seven-year-old modern classic and it feels good. Modern electric classic. Well, good on you. And and, and we should we should actually just sort of um, sign off with um, a story about Prince Philip, who um, most people know um, died this week, and um, he's about to be buried. His hearse will be carried in an electric Land Rover, and um, he was one of the original electric um, vehicle drivers. He in the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties, used to drive around in a specially adapted Bedford electric truck. So there you right? go. Yep. Good on you, Phil. Good on you. Rest Good on you. There you Rest go. In peace, Phil. Nice way to end the podcast. Um, thanks to you, Nigel, and all the listeners. Uh, please leave us a review or f- give us any feedback that you feel like um, giving us, um, particularly around our language. Um, also, thank you very much to our sponsors, Solar Analytics, Sunwiz, and Kennedy. And uh, we'll be back again in a fortnight. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's new partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, developers of smart solar software you can trust for homes, businesses and solar retailers right here in Australia. Get more from your solar. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.